Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. And really excited about our guest today because I was thinking about once upon a time when we all could live together in peace with our animal partners. And in recent years, it seems like there, we're having more and more animal attacks just this week. Agents made an arrest for someone smuggling exotic, exotic animals overseas, and those could have led to attacks as well. We have a guest that has over uh, 40 years' experience dealing with wild animals of all types, specifically with animal attacks. We're going to learn how we can protect ourselves and learn valuable safety tips, especially in colder months as well. He's the author of Four Seconds to Impact, The Skyrocketing Attacks by Predators on Humans. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Bruce Hemming to the podcast. Welcome, Bruce. Well, thank you for having me on the air. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm happy to speak with you because a little cursory search on YouTube pulls up many animal attacks that have been on recorded video, and I'm sure we're going to continue to see that and I'm glad we're going to speak with an expert such as yourself to see if we can kind of curb that increasing trend. Yes, and uh, this is vital information. There was just this past weekend a child attacked in Oregon by a cougar, and luckily the family had two dogs that rescued the child, and he only received minor scratches. But that's just one more example of hundreds that are going on and people really need to be aware, you know, Disney is for TV and these wild animals aren't friendly when you get out there. Not at all. And I guess that's why you have that four seconds until impact. So before people can pull out their phone or even know what's happening, they're already subdued. Yeah, that came from many interviews. I interviewed people about their attacks and the survivors and what happened. And over and over and over, repeatedly, people said, you cannot believe how fast it happened. And four seconds is real common on bear attacks. You'll see them, you'll hear the, maybe hear a growl, maybe not. Maybe they just charge and repeatedly they say next thing i knew i was on the ground being mauled Mm. you can imagine in four seconds but if you train yourself for that and you're ready there's ways you can defend yourself with a firearm or bear spray has been effectively used i'm also thinking that in the past these used to be isolated incidents that happened off the beaten path and also in the evening and you're seeing that it doesn't matter the time of day it could be broad daylight when these things happen yes <laughs> well generally you know you can't say any specifics for sure but generally most attacks happen in the evening hours but that's you know a lot of that has to do with more people are out early morning attacks and attacks happen in broad daylight. (laughs) So you have Mm -hmm. to be prepared anytime you go in. And the one case in the book in chapter five, I was able to get a hold of the national park in Yellowstone and got their 
through Freedom of Information Act, was able to get five actual case studies. And I got their full reports and I detailed it. And I saw a pattern clear as day where first the animals started out with prey testing. And that's where they're not quite sure how to attack us two-legged humans. And they're easily driven off. In the next stage, they actually taste, so I call it prey tasting. And this time they're a little more aggressive and they're gonna get a taste, they're gonna bite into you, get some blood, but they can still be driven off. And the final stage is when they're fully committed to killing and eating you. And unfortunately, I all found all three of these cases and it's detailed in there, it's very graphic. In fact, I, I don't recommend this book for children just because of how graphic the actual cases are inside, especially that chapter, what happens to people when a grizzly bear kills somebody. Yeah. What made you get, what, what sparked your interest in the subject matter? Well, I was noticing people kept saying, you know, a lot of internet experts kept saying, Oh, you know, there's only been 12 fatal attacks from cougars. Well, when people say that, they're discounting all these other attacks where the victim survived. So I went searching and I couldn't find any place that had a detailed account of all these attacks, in many cases, hundreds of attacks over the last 27 years. And it was startling to me. And then I started doing a bunch of research. I contacted Montana Fish and Wildlife, the National Park Service, the Forest Service, and <laughs> just the incredible battle you, you gotta read on how the government, they're not keeping any records. In fact, they don't wanna keep records on this. They only do on a few cases and it's, some like the Forest Service outright just ignored my Freedom of Information Act. They wouldn't even answer me. And I was seeing cases where they'd come across the body and they'd say, killed by animal. That was it. Not what kind of animal, you know. In one case I'm thinking of that happened just outside of Yellowstone which brings in the Forest Service, Tapman National Forest Service land. And I asked for the full report on that because they went in with metal detectors because the man was armed with a 45 and they used metal detectors trying to find the bullets. And why they were doing that was if a bullet went through an animal, they might be able to get DNA off that and find out what kind of animal attack the person. And like I said, they just flat out refused to give me the report. They wouldn't even answer me. I called them and got the run around. Well, that's not this office, you know, and they kept giving me different phone numbers. And finally, after 20 phone calls, I just gave up. Hmm. Do you think that the they want people like you to give up because it would hurt tourism dollars? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you can't help. 
I mean, really, are you going to go to a national park where you know that, uh, oh, yeah, we've had some missing kids and uh, missing hikers, and we think it's animals killing them, but it's okay. You're safe. <laughs> People wow. stop coming. Yeah, it's definitely tourist dollars. Now, the other side, other sad part that I, I hate to add is, unfortunately, over the past year or so, they're starting to keep records, public records of humans that are dying because they are not aware of their environment, so they're taking selfies, and while they're taking selfies, they're walking right off the cliff. So if we have that part of a human happening, what's the best way to prepare for an animal attack if we're not even aware of our surroundings taking a selfie? Well, that's true, and then we've also had not very many. I think I only found one case where somebody got too close to a grizzly bear trying to get a better picture and was killed. But uh, Canada actually had to put out a safety broadcast and said, quit taking selfies with a bear in the picture. <laughs> 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 I'm also laughing because uh, on the Today Show, I believe, or uh, what is it, the the Trevor Noah Show, the comedy show, and there was a, a traffic uh, backup on Mount Everest because you know so many people want to climb it, and there's only oh people are still dying, but there's still that intent to to climb Mount Everest, and so. If I, if even if it's folklore, which I think you may be coming across, of oh, it's only one bear attack; it happened 30 years ago. That the pros far outweigh the cons of continuing to go to these locations. Oh yeah, it's, I mean, there's no reason to be afraid. What the whole purpose of my book was to make people aware and to be prepared. And if you're mentally prepared and you actually practice. For instance, drawing your pepper spray. And in my book, I detailed one of the best, in my opinion, pepper spray companies out there. They actually have a holster you put right on your belt, and you can shoot the pepper spray directly from the holster. It's one of the few, if not the only company out there that does that. But if you mentally prepare and say, this is what I have to do, you'll and you practice it a couple times, they actually even sell a practice canister just for this mm -hmm. purpose, you know, or if you have a gun practice drawing and firing. And I go into details about the pros and cons of having a gun versus pepper spray and vice versa. So, I mean, there's practice is very important. And another case was uh, make sure everybody in your family knows how to use pepper spray because <laughs> there was a case in Glacier National Park where a father and daughter were attacked by a grizzly bear and the grizzly bear knocked the can out of the father's hand and as he was being mauled the daughter picked up the bottle and couldn't figure out how to use it mm. so they both were mauled severely and you know five minute instruction before they left the trailhead might have saved them a million dollars in medical bills, literally. 
Right. Sure. You had mentioned the three patterns where they're not quite sure how to attack and then they get more aggressive. Is it because that we're, we're, we keep infringing on their natural habitat more and more, there are more and more human activity than before? Well, that's true. There's more people now, but and interesting, <clears throat> what I found out was in 2010, they did a study on America and they said, we only occupy 6.1% of the land and that's including up to 10 acre plots. So 97% of the land is still open to the animals. Well, what happened is the last 40 years, ever since, you know, the, I call them the bunny huggers, to stop the hunting, the animals are our friends, that type of attitude, what happens is people have been, you know, brainwashed into let's stop hunting, and we have allowed their numbers to become vastly overpopulated. And I go into great detail in the book explaining this. And the land has what you, you call carrying capacity. It will only support so many bears per square mile. Well, actually, grizzly bears per 80 square miles. And it's the males will drive out the younger males. So the younger males have to go find new territory. So they move out. And while all these territories are filled up now, so the only place left for them is to start coming more and more into people's territory. Yeah, the reason why I asked that question, here in Georgia we have uh, the city, right, and then we have suburbs, and then we have exurbia. So what used to be the mountains that people went for vacation, they actually live out there now, and we hear about that in Georgia about a lot of attacks happening for that reason right well actually i had a wild one i a wild case in georgia where a, a family was raising the raccoons and they threw them out once they got too big because they started getting aggressive and they actually broke into the house and attacked the baby so <laughs> and that happened in Georgia. That's in the book. I, there's, I went into all kinds of strange wild attack, wild animal attacks that you never heard of. I mean, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s. And you, I mean, a bobcat attacking somebody, but that's happening. Raccoons attacking a kid, that's happening. And it all comes back to these animals are grossly overpopulated. And we need to have more hunting and get more control of the population. Yeah, I'm also, that's a really good point that you bring up because I was thinking about my neighbors to the south, those lovely folks in Florida, and in the news, I think it was this weekend, a, alligator, or a crocodile had broken into a house through the pool, and the lady comes downstairs and the crocodile's in the middle of the kitchen, you know, asking for breakfast. So, <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about because in a lot of these, like you said, uh, they get they get these exotic animals when they're babies, and when they get too big, they just you know put them in the swamp or or flush them, and then the, now they're out in the wild, and a lot of havoc ensues. Well, you know, it's funny. I I did a search on uh, 
Florida versus Louisiana. You never heard of uh, alligators attacks in Louisiana. We hear about them in Florida all the time. And again, it comes back to the same old story. Why? Because they overprotect them and they're grossly overpopulated. When they're breaking into people's houses, I think we can safely say there's too many. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, what about the other side as far as uh, permitting and permits to hunting? And when we hear about these busts and arrests, uh, they the the perpetrator was aware of the permits, but they didn't agree with it, and so they, you know, in essence, smuggled these animals either on the plane or through other means. So, is that a, a growing problem that you're seeing on your end as well? No, well, you're talking more exotic from overseas where people are trying to bring in weird snakes and lizards and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, you know, I focus the books all about North America, you know, America, Canada, where I stayed right in North America, because that's what I'm an expert on. I'm not, you know. I don't know anything about Asia or Indonesia to comment for sure on what's going on with their animal population. Sure, sure. And are you also seeing one particular species that are more aggressive than others? Well, the one that most people really overlook is black bears because Uh it's a frequent myth that's still out there today that all you need is a broom to scare a black bear away. And that's true for some of them. (laughs) But what they found recently, and again, the last 20 some years, is they're seeing an aggressive male black bear that is hunting humans. And they're called predatory attacks. And what that means when they say predatory attack, that means he's trying to kill and eat the person, which is different than a defensive attack when you walk up, say, on a sow with her cubs when the people, you know, are attacked because she was defending her cubs. That's called a defensive attack. When they're trying to kill and eat you, that's a predatory attack. And what they found, again, it's in the book in detail, these young males, 93% of the predatory attacks are coming from these, or sorry, I think it's 88%, you have to forgive my memory, are these young male black bears. In fact, in the Smoky Mountains, I found a case that really blew my mind, was like a 50-pound cub was trying to kill a young boy i don't remember his age but and they physically were fighting it out blood flying everywhere and the father had to get in and actually kill the bear to save his son it's a cub so yeah (laughs) there's some wild stories i mean in the book that just blew my mind Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking for, for the human aspect, at least in the city cities, 
we have a ton of cameras everywhere on the TV shows. They solve crimes because you know they caught a, a, a glimpse in, at the bank, you know, a half a block away. Are, is there any type of surveillance that's happening in some of these areas so that so we're more informed about areas that we're frequenting? Hmm. Good question. I don't believe they're doing anything in the national forest. At least I haven't heard. I mean, they might be, but basically what they do is people uh, in your national parks, people report different, you know, sightings of grizzly bears or cougars or any encounters. Well, they're supposed to, which doesn't happen all the time. And they uh, then when you come into the parks, they're supposed to give you a warning and say, hey, you know, along this trail, there's been grizzly bear sightings or one person was charged, but, you know, wasn't attacked, that sort of thing. They're supposed to inform you before you go out. Yeah, because here in Georgia, I know a lot of, I have a lot of friends that go deer hunting and different seasons, you know, they're alerted that they cannot, they can only kill a certain amount because they know the number there and they don't want to want them to go extinct. So I'm just wondering how progressive other states are when you factor in hunting. Well, they all, they all have a biologist and his or her job is to guesstimate, well, you know, based on scientific evidence, uh, how many bears, for instance, are in this area. And they say, okay, this area will support, for instance, 2,000 bears. And we're at 2,500. So this year we need to take 500 out. So there's still 2,000 bears left. But what happens when the bears are hunting, they, of course, wise up real quick and say, oh, (laughs) them humans are bad news. (laughs) And they back off. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a actual safety factor. And that works for all animals. When they're hunted aggressively, they learn to avoid humans and it's a safety factor. So yes, they have biologists in every state. In fact, I go into great detail in the book on the different states and how they set how many populations you know some states i think montana was like taking eight percent of the bear populations per year some states were taking 17 percent it just depends on their biology biologist and the survival rate of the cubs so the higher their population growth is the more aggressive in each state's different how they do it yeah, that makes sense. And so when you talk about, um, you're talking about, cold, in, in your bio, you're talking about the colder months are the time that you should really be aware. I mean, you should be aware at all times, but it seems that either are the animals preparing for winter, and that's why you should be more aware in the, in the, in the colder months? Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, you, bears especially go into... It's, um, they have to consume 20,000 calories a day. 
So they become very aggressive over food sources. And that's where you see, especially like last year, there was a guy killed in Wyoming. And this was late October, early November. And they were packing out an elk where they went in, they shot it the day before, and they went in early morning. And all they had was a pistol and they were trying to load up the elk on the horses and you know they had quartered it up and they were attacked and the guide had a pistol and he threw it to the uh client that he was guiding and the client didn't know how to use it mm. and it comes back again where five minutes of preparation beforehand might have saved his life and the gun also had a fully loaded magazine but there was not a bullet in the chamber so even if the guy unfamiliar with it pulled the trigger it just would have went click and he panicked and ran off and tried to get cell phone service on top of the hill to call for help and the guide was killed very unfortunate case absolutely when you when you talk about the predatory attacks, and then you're also talking about a bear in this case needs to consume twenty thousand calories a day. Are there any instances where you're finding that they're attacking in groups versus one on one? Not on bears, but uh, on coyotes and wolves, yes. And that's another one that a lot of people don't know. They're still under that illusion that wolves don't attack people, and I believe I have 38 cases in the book where people have been attacked by wolves. And there's a really bad one that happened in Alaska. And I got the Alaska field report. And that took a lot of research to find that report. And I finally got it. And it was a pack of 10 wolves that attacked a lone lady that was out jogging. And it's that's another one that's just horrific reading. It's very graphic on what happened to that poor woman. And same with coyotes. I had a case that happened up in Canada in Nova Scotia. A young 19-year-old lady out for a walk was attacked by three coyotes. And it was an incredible attack. She fought them for like a half an hour. People finally came. They tried driving the coyotes off, three men, and the coyotes backed off but stood their ground and were trying to take her, take their dead, well, she wasn't dead yet, but their prey victim back over. And in fact, the Mounties arrived with a shotgun and he shot one of them and that finally broke the attack and they finally left. They got the lady to the hospital. She was still alive, but she died shortly afterwards. And just horrific case. So yeah, and pack animals, you can imagine 10 wolves, nobody'd stand a chance without a firearm or three coyotes. And I got a case in Colorado where a man was walking that was attacked by a pack of coyotes. 
just horrific attack, but he was able to fight them off and make it to safety. So yes, pack attacks happen, but not with bears, none that I have found, or with cougars, but with wolves and coyotes, yes. And what about the argument, uh, I know it's more of a political argument about for hunting, you know, using a rifle versus a semi-automatic assault rifle. In the case of wolves, I would think that you need something automatic versus a handgun that shoots off one at a time. <laughs> well, automatics are illegal unless you have a special permit. But just a semi-automatic rifle with a 30-round magazine would definitely feel more comforting for the pack of wolves than <laughs> a single-shot <laughs> bold action. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're saying, like, if you, you might scare one off, but if, if they're a pack, then they may with this strength in numbers. So I would think they would still come, come at you. Well, actually, I've interviewed hunters that have told me that they have come and shot at wolves coming at them. And what freaked them out was, you know, normally when you shoot, the animal runs away. And this guy told me that he had five wolves coming in and he shot and dropped one. And the other four just kept coming at him and it really freaked them out because he thought the other four would run off. Right. And he, he emptied his gun and finally drove the others off, but it spooked them really bad. <laughs> Rightfully so. I don't know anyone that'll pull out a cigarette and just and a beer <laughs> at that time. <laughs> so hopefully we don't come into that. Um, you you also have ideas for revamping the animal conservation system, so. We've established that there's an overgrowth, and hence we've had an increase in tax. How can we cull the herd, as they say? Well, it's real simple. I mean, it's really not that complicated at all. We just have to increase the tag. I mean, Colorado's been having a, all kinds of problems with bears, from nuisance attacks to uh, where nuisance means they're coming in and tearing up your garbage or breaking into your chicken coop and killing your chickens, that sort of thing. And again, it's because they're overpopulated. So they can increase the tags three, four years in a row or whatever their biologist determines needs to be done, you know, based on science and call the herd down. And like in grizzly bears, they need to open a hunting season for God's sakes in Wyoming and Montana and Idaho, it's way overdue. And that's another case, <laughs> our government, lovely people that they are. I just wanted to know how many times they had changed the goal. See, what these biologists have done that works for the federal government is they said, well, as soon as the bears hit 400, we're going to open a hunting season and let 40 be culled every year. Well, once they hit 400, they changed it. Now, we want it at 500 and then 600. And it changed six or seven times. And so in 1990, they were supposed to open the first hunting season on grizzly bears. And now we're at 2019. 
and there's still no hunting season on them. Yeah, it's totally ridiculous. So how does that work? Does that work on the federal level or the state level as far as a a response and galvanizing the troops to spread the word about this? Well, it's real complicated, of course. The federal government, the grizzly bears out west are under Endangered Species Act, so they have control. And the black bears are under state management, so they have control. So it depends on which animal species you're talking about and whether or not they're listed under the Endangered Species Act or not. Which, you know, <laughs> of course, complicated. But we also, you have to look at, you know, what's the motivation for the biologist not to have a hunting season? And I tried to find that out. And I believe, this is my guess, that the biologists want to keep their job. And when they work for the feds, once the grizzly bears have been recovered and removed from the endangered species list, those biologists would be out of a job. So to protect their job, they just change the goal number, for instance. That shows you on the federal side. On the state side, uh, people can put pressure on fish and wildlife or fish and game, whatever they're called in each particular state, and demand more animals be culled to cure that. Did that answer your question? It, it did. It did. Thank you. Um, it seems like on each state you need to look. Uh, how Would they contact a specific department, or how, how would that work? Right. Well, they... Each department, each state's got a different name. Like I was originally from Michigan, and there it was the Department of Natural Resources. Okay. And Idaho, for instance, it's Idaho Fishing Game. So to find out, it's real simple. You just look up whatever state, like Georgia, you type in buy hunting license, mm-hmm. and that will tell you where, and that, that will be their website be their fish and wildlife or fish and game or whatever they call themselves. And that's who you'd contact on their website or that they'd give you a phone number to call to find out. Like, um, for instance, I think I talked to a lot of people. <laughs> Colorado was, I believe, Division of Wildlife. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And I want to address a myth. I remember as a child watching cartoons that if a bear comes around, you play dead, and then you're okay. What's your take on that? Well, sometimes, and again, that's where this book will actually help you, knowing the difference between a predatory and a defensive attack. Now, in a black bear, (coughs) you fight. You fight like the devil's trying to drag you to hell forgive my language (laughs) and you fight because most times they're trying to kill you to eat you Mm -hmm. now in a grizzly bear if you see the mom with the cubs and she charges you if you can't neutralize her with a gun or bear spray then that's when you want to play dead because she most of the time, again, most of the time, nothing's for sure, 
she'll maul you a little and leave because all she's trying to do is neutralize you as a threat to her folks. And once she feels that you're no longer a threat, she'll leave you there. But not always, because there's one case I'm thinking of where she didn't stop the attack and she planned on killing the person she attacked. So that's why I have to speak in general terms because nothing always works. And again, that's where uh, proper training and practice will help uh, immensely. Sure, and, and I want to I want to get into that with the training and practice. But I'm just just to to answer your point. Uh, I mean, I can play dead pretty good, but if I get mauled light, right? If if I, if she feels oh he's dead, well let me maul him a little bit. I mean, how could you still play dead? Because it's not going to tickle when she touches you. Period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be laughing. That's for sure. <laughs> right. How do I still play dead and she's mauling me lightly? <laughs> <laughs> well, she's not going to maul you lately. You're going to feel some pain. But the people I talk to that have lived through that said that they uh, they literally bit their tongue and forced themselves not to move. Mm. And that's when she quit or paused and she didn't fight or scream or do anything and it stopped. So that's a last case, but again, on a, like a cougar, you never, ever play dead. Right. When a cougar attacks, they're planning eating you, period. No exceptions. And that's, well, I don't know if you want to get into that right now, but guns used on cougars 88% of the time stop the attack. As soon as the shot's fired, either it kills the animal or just hearing the shot drives them off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking in each scenario, the title of your book, Four Seconds Until Impact. So you have to think on your toes. And my next question is, what's the earliest age that young adults could go out there to the parks and such? You're mentioning little children and panicking. I don't think they should be in those environments at all. Well, I mean, it's not up to us to be parents for everybody, but it is up to us. In fact, I get into that. One of the things, especially for cougars, is when kids are playing, they have that high-pitched squeal. Mm -hmm. I'm talking young kids between 3 and 10 years old. That high-pitched squeal actually brings in predators it's like a call and you'll hear a lot of cases where i'm thinking of a case that i detailed in the book where this young three-year-old boy came up missing in colorado and the intensive search hundreds of people for a week long and never found anything and then the next year the year after they found his hat and sweater and shoes and a cougar grabbed them and ran straight uphill and that's where you need to train your children too tell them you know this isn't cartoons you know the animals aren't your friends 
And if you do get grabbed by any animal, scream for help. And don't stop screaming. Just keep screaming for help. Very important, especially if you live anywhere where there's cougars. So parents have saved their children more than once. Again, it's the, I have one case in there that happened in Canada. And it's just horrific. This mother literally fought the cougar to death. She died to save her children. I mean, incredible story. It sounds like that's where the mother gets her uh, super strength that you hear about when they lift cars, when they feel that their children are in danger. Oh, in this, this case, she fought the cougar for an hour. Mm-hmm. She had an older boy. It was attacked a younger, I don't remember the age for sure, say three or four-year-old, and the older son took her, the other two kids, and ran for help and got help. And then a guy with a shotgun came back and was tried to save the mother, and it took an hour for that time frame. And she was still fighting the cougar when the man arrived. Just incredible. So, yeah, that was a mother's love. Absolutely. And one thing that I learned talking to you about that high-pitched squeal, I was at the Jersey Shore over the weekend, and we had kids with us. And every time they squealed, the, the, what do you call them, not the pelicans, the, the seagulls kept coming by. And we were like, if you stop squealing, and they would stop coming. It was like they were chasing the kids because the kids were squealing. <laughs> yeah, they were looking for you know, seagulls. You know, they'll come in and think maybe something's being attacked, and there'll be uh, pieces for them to eat, to be blunt. That's uh, <laughs> that should be a good example and stick in your head from now on, I bet. <laughs> good point. So there's some people that uh, they have different ways of learning. They some people read, some people are auditory learners, some people are visual learners. And after they get your book, are they set in stone, or do you also teach classes? I used to teach uh, wilderness survival classes, but uh, I don't anymore. And, but, I mean, if I had a big enough demand, yeah, I would definitely come in and teach. And also, since you bring that up, uh, one thing I found that really has increased that I should mention is people at camp in a tent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have several cases in the book detailed where people have been attacked in the tent as they're sleeping. And one of the safety features I found was a lightweight electric fence that you can put around your tent. And the manufacturer I interviewed, who's in the book, he uh, said that it was used up in uh, the Arctic and actually drove off a polar bear. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that I I didn't know that. So you can actually when you're when you're going out camping, you can buy an electric fence that can you can put around your campsite. 
Yeah, yeah, pretty amazing. And it, I don't remember, but it seems to me it was right around five pounds and worked on two diesel batteries. It was incredible. I'm sure it has a capacitor inside, and that's what gives it a high jump voltage-wise to knock the critter to give them a second thought that this is the wrong camp to come into. <laughs> well, it gives you more time. That, that's why I'm glad you brought that up because, again, I just keep thinking, you know, that four seconds before impact. And I think of the dogs when you have the electric fence around your house where they keep testing it and then they're able to withstand the pain and get through. Uh, if, they're, if the wild animal's going through this electric fence, it gives you time to make sure your ammunition and spray and everything else is ready. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it'll wake you up when you hear them yell and pain. You're right. I, I actually found a study that I was pretty surprised. Uh, I believe it was in India. They talked about how uh, even electric fences around houses did not prevent deaths 100% of the time because the animals learned to overcome the pain and entered anyways and still killed and ate people. Hmm. Yeah, that was my next question. Uh, you know, it keeps the dog in and the dog's barking. It's not keeping the that bear to come into, like you said, become a nuisance and knock your trash over. That doesn't stop, deter them? It, it does for a while. You know, it just depends if they really like that or not. <laughs> They really mm-hmm. like the food that's in your trash can. Sooner or later, they're going to learn. And it's like all non-lethal methods eventually fail. You know, they'll work for so long. And I think what we're going to find out is these bears, maybe in the next 10, 20 years, these bears are going to learn to overcome the bear spray. They're going to learn to stop, shut their eyes, and shut their mouth so they can take the blast better and then charge through it after you get done spraying. Comforting thought, hey? Yeah, I can't wait for I would say I can't wait for that movie to come out, but this sounds like real life. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I did have another question about the electric fence because... The electric fence is really for Fido, right? So with the bear who weighs way, uh, you know, a lot more, or some of these other animals, they're they would be unfazed by some of these fences, I would think. Well, no, this company uh, that I list in the book, he uh, act, like I said, they actually made it and it was tested on that polar bear. So I mean, it it's enough to drive them off. But how many more times, you know, animals are going to learn mm-hmm. once they get by that, just like a dog's going to learn. It's just going to take more exposure to it until they finally learn how to bypass it to get to you. But, yeah, right now, probably, like I said, I'm guessing they'll work. Well, they're not real widespread yet, so mm-hmm. maybe it will work for the next 20 years. Sure. Well, and I'm a, I'm a big tech geek, so I got to stay here for just a few more seconds, okay? If you don't mind. So, since I didn't know that the electric fence existed before our conversation, 
I, I'm wondering if they have like a mobile fence. Like if you're walking around, then you have sort of a TV movie force field while you're walking around because when you're saying in the people you interviewed, they said the next thing I knew. So you're they're they're sneaking up to you. It's not like they're giving you time to prepare. Right. Um, actually, the company that I, I highlight, they uh, they have a video where this bear, this grizzly bear, is charging a person, and it's literally like three seconds. There's no growl. There's nothing. You see the bear, he charges, and boom, you're on the ground. And so, <laughs> I mean. It would be great for a techie to come up with a, or maybe a, a high-powered stun gun, taser-type thing to work on bears, but I haven't heard of anything like that. But I'm hopefully somebody's working on it. That would be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> even a city slicker like me would go out in the woods if I had that. <laughs> <laughs> So we talk, so the disclaimer was it, the book is very graphic, so it's not for children. But where uh, I'd like for you to take the time to to talk about the book a little bit more and how they can get in, how they can get the book and how they can get in touch with you if they want to know more information about wilderness survival. Oh, okay, you can go to my website. It's www.snare-trap-survive.com. Or the book is available, of course, on my website and Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Kaboo, Apple, a host of other ones. Whichever your favorite ebook reader is, it's probably on there. Uh, so I mean, Amazon is the easiest one to find, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Or you just go to my website. You can search. Uh, Four Seconds to Impact, Bruce Buckshot Hemming, and it comes right up. And uh, Google search, it'll be like the, I don't know how many, the first 10 probably. Mm-hmm. I was wondering with, with the book, it'd be a great read, but since we're talking about animals and noises and uh, having this visual have you ever thought of doing an audio version and, and having the sounds of the animals when they attack? Actually, <laughs> I was thinking, but I think the liability would be too much insurance-wise. What I was thinking of was actually opening up like a gun range in the woods where you're mm-hmm. walking with your pistol on a hike and have like a bear growling and have, you know, a plastic form bear charge you on like a rail mm-hmm. and give you that four seconds so you could actually practice in real life what it would be like and probably save some people's lives but nowadays with the insurance costs last time i checked for just having a shooting range the cost was pretty astronomical just to buy the insurance well, he gave you his contact information, so if there are any insurers that listen to this podcast, you know who to get in touch with and work out some good rates. It sounds like it's a service that's definitely needed. Well, I think it would save lives, but, you know, people would 
panic and maybe shoot themselves, shoot themselves in the foot or in the thigh. And yeah, it's easy to talk about, you know, when you're nice and comfortable. What I would do is pull out my gun and. <laughs> But when you hear that growl and all of a sudden that bear's bearing down on you, the life changes real suddenly. <laughs> no, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, you have just been attuned to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza and Bruce Hemming. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Let's stay in touch. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me on the air. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Ah. <sighs>